This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushdoony. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushdoony. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushdini. Chapter 16, The Cure of Souls. A very interesting point made by Margaret R. Miles is the fact that in the medieval perspective, the visual image, as in painting and sculpture, took precedence over the written or spoken word. With the Reformation, the word took priority. The achievements of Christendom since then are a product of the written and spoken word. Paul's emphatic statement is, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, from Romans 10.17. The word of God, written and spoken, carries with it the power of God and the conviction, whether to salvation or to reprobation, of the Spirit of God. Our culture rests on the power of the Word in very many ways. This is different, however, from a belief in the omnipotence of words. A great many people, wives especially, believe that if only their husbands, pastors or some other man said something, problems would be resolved. During the depression of the 1930s, a town church became vacant and an elderly pastor was sent there by the presbytery as as pulpit supply until a man could be found. There was a problem. A strong-minded, sharp-tongued woman dominated the church. She was a more successful person in business than the elders. She gave more time and money to the church than anyone else. She was generally right, but very blunt and free with her tongue and also domineering. No pastor stayed too long, and other members had become passive. There was no clear ground for charging her or condemning her, but she was a problem, and it was discussed in the presbytery committee. Word got back to her, and she exploded at the supply pastor, who tried to mollify her. At the next presbytery, the pastor of a successful urban church criticised the old man and told him that he should have straightened her out. With trembling hands, the old man responded, quote, And how successful have you ever been at straightening out your wife or any other woman? End quote. He added that he had little faith in the power of words with adults. I've thought for years about the implication of that incident and his words. When should we speak and when should we be silent? Another incident. In the 1970s, a woman was made the executive officer of a corporation's Southern California offices. She had worked in that office and knew the abilities and performance of all the men very well. Each man, in turn, was called into her office to be given a verbal analysis of his work, where he should mend his ways and what should be expected of him. As word of this was passed around, the last few men went in angrily, responding to her analysis with an analysis of her and telling her what she could do with herself. In the main, the woman had been right, 
But what she had failed to realise was that all these men, with their varying abilities, could not be turned into rubber-stamped duplicates of her imagined ideal. She had to work with them within the framework of their individuality or else drop them from the staff. There is a relationship between this and the confessional and pastoral counselling. The formalism of Roman Catholic confessional does not make confession easier. Its strength is that it requires a confrontation with one's own self and one's sins from a God-centred perspective. More than a few Catholics have left the Church for non-theological reasons, simply to be rid of the necessity for confession. For others, the confessional is a religiously healthy exercise, while for still others, the formalism of the rite makes it easy to slide through glibly. There is no formula which assures valid confession. In Protestant circles, where persons come to the pastor on their own, unrequired, the confessional is informal, there is no systematic approach, and the person confesses usually to one particular offence. Such a confession can bring relief and comfort, but it can also engender hostility because too many Protestants believe in forgiveness without restitution. All one needs to do is to say, I'm sorry, and forgiveness is automatic, they believe. To require them to make amends can infuriate them. But I said, I'm sorry, they say, equating words with repentance. They are indeed sorry, usually because their sins have caused them much trouble, they will insist. Quote, God forgives me when I'm sorry. How can you say I am not forgiven yet? If I am forgiven by the Lord when I confess, how can Jane Doe refuse to forgive me? End quote. And so on. The decline of restitution has made the restoration of community usually impossible, and it has cheapened the meaning of confession and repentance. Two things at the least are necessary to successful confession and pastoral counselling. First, there must be true repentance, confession, and wherever possible, restitution. A mechanical confession and penance will accomplish little and can be an impediment. Second, confession and counselling are impotent apart from the working of the Holy Spirit. Let us consider again the elderly pastor's dilemma. Can any rebuke do any good where there is neither confession nor repentance? The answer of many churches has been to take steps against offenders culminating in excommunication. Is this valid? Certainly, for some offences this is necessary. But let us consider the possibilities. One young man whose family was away was invited to a party by a former college friend. After some time in drinking and dancing, he ended up in bed with one of the women present. He then, very deeply repentant, confessed to his pastor and was at once suspended and barred from communion. Was this right? His offence was publicised and thus caused grief to his wife who was ignorant of the transgression. His grief over his sin was turned into anger against the church. However, the church went by its rules, which he knew, yet, he had, been less, yet had he been less contrite, he would not have confessed. The church's rigidity with its rule shattered a family and brought no healing to the situation. At one time, pastoral counselling and the confessional were alike aspects of what was called the cure of souls. This term is an excellent one and best describes the purpose of both. 
The most effective cure of souls, however, is the preaching of the word of God. It is not only faith that comes by hearing, but also repentance, a change of heart and life, humility, a submission to correction, and more. If men will not hear the word of God, why should they hear the pastor? If men will not be corrected by God's word, will man's word correct them? Sin must be dealt with as God prescribes. Many of the sins which daily plague us in our husbands, wives, friends and fellow Christians are aspects of imperfect sanctification, a problem we all share. Our sins are tailored to our lives, and therefore our sins are not as conspicuous to ourselves as they are to others. We can identify stealing and adultery if we commit these sins, but day by day our real sins are not major ones, but things unobtrusive to ourselves and often the shadow of our virtues. The town church with a domineering woman did indeed have a problem, but it was not one that any pastor or the presbytery could solve. In fact, any action on their part would have created more problems. The trouble in the church began with the men who were elders. Because they were, first, more impressed by the woman's financial success and power in that town and intimidated by it, they were unwilling to function as the true elders of the church. They allowed her to dictate to them. Second, they apparently thought too little of their eldership and their manhood, and so they allowed her to dominate them. Although nominally all Orthodox Christians, their faith was obviously at best weak. As a result, the church and a succession of pastors suffered. Her critical word was very powerful, but in one respect she was right. She took the faith more seriously than the elders did, whatever her faults. Had the men shown an equal faith in the, word, in the word of God and the power of his spirit, this situation would at least have been contained. This is the end of chapter 16. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.